This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 614 and we welcome Bud Offerman in for a discussion on ventilation, filtration, and COVID snake oil salesman. We sent a copy of a little paper he put together on the snake oil uh, along with the show announcement. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we continue doing the show. Please support our sponsors and thank them for their support of IAQ Radio. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at RestorationIndustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at HB2021-America.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions at GrayWolfSensing.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Don Weeks, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, who was first to identify the year 1527 as the first mention of hurricane in what is now the United States. The IQ radio trivia question for today, Friday, January 29, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Here is today's IQ radio trivia question. What ingredient in snake oil is known to have anti-inflammatory properties? Back to you, Joe. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Bud Offerman, he's the president of Indoor Environmental Engineering, a San Francisco-based IAQ consulting firm. Prior to starting up IEE, he was a staff scientist with the Building Ventilation and Indoor Air Quality Program at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. Welcome back, Bud. We've had you on twice before. Looking forward to a great show today. Thanks very much, Joe. Good to have you back in the, in the, in the saddle here. All right. So let's talk a little bit about first, how do you became so interested in and knowledgeable about ventilation and uh, filtration? Yeah, well, um, I guess it all started back... Uh, probably at Lawrence Berkeley Lab uh, was my, uh, I, I came out from Buffalo, New York in 1971. And uh, I got a job at Lawrence Berkeley Lab with this group doing indoor air quality. And um, it was great. We, um, we, uh, we ended up studying a lot of uh, stuff on radon gas. And then the radon uh, decay products. And because radon decay products, um, it's important whether they're attached to a particle or not attached to a particle. Uh, we started becoming aerosol scientists. And uh, so we started studying particles and air filtration. And then I got uh, a chance to uh, be on 60 Minutes as a result of that research with Dan Rather. This is like 1985. And then I got, I started consulting with the Federal Trade Commission because back then, guys, the, the air cleaners 
they actually called them air purifiers. They were really scenting machines. Companies like Norelco, a $10 little box with a fan and a citrus impregnated uh, filter for scenting. Uh, not so much air cleaning, but oh. the Trade Commission back then said, all right, you know, uh, some of these claims that they're making for health and everything, uh, this has got to stop. So, and then the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers said, well, um, with this enforcement action coming Federal Trade Commission, we, uh, let's get Offerman over here and uh, help us write a standard. So then it became the AHAM AC1 clean air delivery rate. So that's how I got into it. That's C-A-D-R, the, the clean air delivery rate. That's still used today and, and quite yeah. popular, the AHAM. Yeah. Um, people that buy these products should look for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I have a little something later, a little history I'm going to show you when I pull up my slide deck on how this really important metric, clean air delivery rate, which is airflow times efficiency. So it's, it's what you want to know as an engineer, if you're um, trying to engineer indoor air in a building, you know, we're on the care of how efficient the filter is necessarily if there's no air going through it. Yeah. And nor do you uh, care what the efficiency is if, if, there, if, if, it's, if, if it's a high efficiency, no air, you got zero. If you got a, 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 a high efficiency and no air, you got zero. So you need to know the two. Okay. And does ventilation and air filtration provide the same amount of airborne transmission risk reduction? All right. That's, that, that's a good question. Let me uh, share my screen here. Um, I'm going to share it and it's, uh, where's my uh, thing here? Uh, here we are. And uh, um, share. There you and go. To, uh, slideshow, I'll play from start. Okay. So let's just go down here because I do have a few slides. Okay. So regarding your question, um, I got to point the the viewers to this paper that the California Department of Health Services put out, um, their indoor air quality group. And there's the link right there. Uh, the role of building ventilation and filtration and reducing risk of airborne transmission in schools. So it was just put out this September, 2020. And I've been um, assisting the CDPH in, um, in, in their uh, COVID-19 work. So. Keep in mind, this is important, okay? So we're gonna, the question was, is ventilation and air cleaning, uh, are they the same? Well, yes and no. The important thing I wanna make a distinction here is that this transmission, we know uh, airborne is uh, a, a mechanism of transmission, even far long range transmission here. And that's what we're gonna be talking about interrupting or protecting people from with air cleaning and filtration. We're not going to be doing anything with short range, but no matter how much air we put in, right? That we're only going to interrupt this close range transmission with masks and social distancing. And so, yes, it, it, it is the total air changes per hour, outdoor air and ventilation plus air filtration, whether you get it from your HVAC system or portable air cleaners. But of course, it depends how efficient the filter is. All right, yeah. So a HEPA filter is um, 100, pretty 99.9% efficient on uh, particles. So um, yeah, here is uh, um, a, a chart of the different removal mechanisms for um, in, in like a classroom setting. And, and this is with a MERV-8 filter. So you get some removal from infiltration, not very much some from surface deposition, not very much. And then you get from your outdoor air ventilation and HVAC filtration a little bit more. So this is um, in the paper that uh, the CDPH wrote. You can see when you go up to a MERV 13 filter, you get a lot, lot better. Uh, um, uh, it's, it's, it's taking a, a much more uh, of the removal is happening with the filtration. All right. I just want to say a couple of things here about um, uh, ventilation. Okay, so here's a book 
if you ever get a chance to read it, it's quite good. It's, it's about kids with tuberculosis or that had been exposed to, you know, family members that had tuberculosis. Hmm. And um, that's called an Eskimo suit. This is in Chicago. And this is the school, 1910. And it, they have up on the roof, a, a structure where the kids went that were, had been exposed to TB or had TB. And the idea was just like sanitariums um, back in that era of, of widespread TB, um, uh, knew that ventilation and you know, sunlight and all that good, was good for that disease. And so here there's these kids in their Eskimo suits. And yes, that is Snow, Cliff and Joe, <laughs> and they got their suits on. So, wow. Um, so yeah. So yeah, ventilation and air cleaning are pretty much the can be the uh, can be the same, with the exception that uh, air cleaning it depends on the filtration efficiency. But you got to keep in mind now that the air filter industry has um, the air filter industry has really matured. I mean. Um, the, we now have pleated filters um, that are, you know, HEPA filters, right? And so here are the different types of filtration cleaning devices you can have. Uh, the mechanical filters, this is your fibrous filter. In the old days, Joe and Cliff, when we were growing up, the furnace filter, you could see right through it. It was a panel. It really, all it did is protect the cooling coil. Uh, so it didn't follow up. But then in, we, in, in World War II, the Manhattan Project, uh, uh, developing nuclear weapons and everything, um, in, invented the, the HEPA filter or pleated filter. If you take a filter and pleat it and, and give it a lot of surface area, you can make that filter essentially 100% effective for removing particles. Then Joe, the question is, yes, the air going through a, uh, a HEPA filter produces as clean of air at, uh, or, or SARS-CoV-2, um, um, you know, free as outdoor air. But, uh, but you have to have a high efficiency filter. Now, you remember electrostatic precipitators. This was like a 1950s technology. It's yeah. pretty much out the door now. Uh, but it was used in uh, nuclear submarines for cleaning the air had very low pressure drop. It basically had ionizers and then it had plates of obsolete charged plates that you would ionize the air going in and the particles would get charged and they would get uh, drift into the obsolete charged plates. But the plates would get dirty and then the system really wouldn't work that well. And then you had issues with ozone. So pretty much, uh, they're still out there, but they're, they're pretty much kind of gone. Ionizers, uh, this was a, an industry looking for uh, a place back in the 1980s uh, before bipolarization and before some of these uh, other um, 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 types of ionization devices. Uh, but yeah, it, it, they, they didn't really work all that well. Um, and then last, and this is kind of new, uh, well, the UV is not new, ultraviolet light used many, many years ago, for, again, for controlling uh, tuberculosis, airborne TB in hospital settings and everything. But let's just say that, which everyone you know, will, I think, agree is that it's kind of a mixed bag on UV. Um, upper room UV, you would usually have a, a soffit up on the wall so that the UV didn't have line of sight with you. But there was no fan to bring the air up to have given enough time to be disinfected by the UV light. And that mm -hmm. remains today, UV, upper room UV, it, it really wouldn't call it a dependable control strategy. Uh, and then UV light on a moving airstream, the virus and bacteria get maybe a little suntan, you know, that's <laughs> about it, uh, but no real significant uh, uh, deactivation or cleaning. Photocatalytic oxidation came out, oh, I don't know, um, 15, 20, I mean, 15 or 20 years ago, this is where you take um, basically sunscreen titanium oxide 
impregnated on a filter, irradiate the filter with UV light, it creates hydroxyl radicals, which then can attack like uh, a virus, bacteria, and then um, um, also um, um, VOCs. But we'll, we'll get into that uh, a little bit in a second. Okay. Let's, let's just, let me just take a minute of time and just say for the mechanical filters, fibrous filters, there's some various mechanisms that work on different size particles. The first one here we'll call inertial impaction. That's where the airstream is moving across here and the air can scoot around the fiber, but the particle can't, it's too heavy. It just collides into the particle. And when part collides into the, the fiber, when fibers and particles interact, the, the particles are so small that they, they don't bounce off the uh, fiber. They're held by molecular forces. But then there's diffusion too. If the particle is very small, it doesn't ride the streamline all that um, smoothly. It's erratic and it gives it a higher probability of uh, touching the fiber, in which case it gets removed. The nice thing about that is, look at this. Here in, on the y-axis, on the x-axis is the size of the particles in micrometers. Here on the, the filter efficiency is the, um, is the y-axis. You'll see that for this inertial impaction for the big particles, very high collection efficiency, you know, at one micron and bigger. But then as the particle gets smaller, inertial effects don't work. But fortunately, <laughs> and this happens in science a lot, uh, there's another mechanism that's really good for small particles, diffusion. And when you add the two together, you get a little dip in the overall, um, sorry, oops, the overall removal efficiency, and it's right around 0.3 microns. This is why when we test HEPA filters, we test them with uh, aerosols that are around 0.3 microns, it's the most penetrating particle. But, you know, about HEPA filters, they're 99.9997%, so that dip can be very small for a HEPA filter. Now, here's something interesting, too, is I didn't know this, at least in 1985, that electrostatic devices, including electrostatic precipitators, have the same two competing mechanisms field charging for big particles, diffusion charging for little ones, and you get the same minimum right around 0.3 microns. Hmm. So, yeah, and, and let's, let's see if I have one more here. Okay, this is, um, Joe, that you were asking about the, you know, portable air cleaner testing. There are two tests that you can uh, rely on that uh, for, um, you know, accurate filtration efficiency testing. One is the ASHRAE 52.2 MERV rating. Everyone's heard of MERV, I imagine. MERV 13 has become the kind of standard filter now that uh, most codes recommend. That's simply measuring the, the concentration of the particles upstream and downstream in a duct. So they take a two by two filter, they put it in the test duct and they measure the uh, MERV rating. Now, portable air cleaners, it's not, you can't just put them in a test duct. So uh, AHAM AC1 developed this chamber method for clean air delivery rate. And the chamber test of particle remover rate, it basically put, the, put smoke into the chamber, watch how fast the smoke goes away with no air cleaner running, then put the air cleaner in the test in the chamber, watch how fast it goes away. And um, the difference gives you the clean air delivery rate. Now, okay, there you go. credit where credit's due, right? Yep. Uh, um, uh, Ken Whippy was a mentor of mine, although I only knew him briefly. I was a young scientist at Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory and um, he was, um, uh, uh, nearing the end of his career. And I met him at an ASHRAE meeting in Chicago and he had developed this method for testing portable air cleaners that got around the fact that you couldn't really put it in a test duct. You put it in a room and 
he um, did this test. His it, it's it's right out of mass balance theory, and it calculates the contaminant removal rate. He never gave it a fancy name. Um, um, where was it? Here's the here's the paper he did at ASHRAE back in 1983. It simply called it because he he, he was a, a scientist and an engineer and he liked equations. He called it NQR. It's basically the contaminant removal efficiency times how much air is going through the device. So if you have an air portable air cleaner with 200 CFM and it's got a HEPA filter, that's 200 CFM of clean air coming out. But if you have a filter that's only 50% efficient, the clean air delivery rate would be 200 times 50% is uh, 100 CFM. Gotcha. So that's how that um, evolved. Then um, yours truly, <laughs> And I was a young scientist at Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. I had just met um, uh, Ken Whitby uh, and um, we were doing air cleaning tests, um, not, not because we were like the consumer reports of portable air cleaners. We were scientists studying uh, radon and radon progeny. Uh, or, or we used to call them radon daughters for a while, but um, it was, it was be more uh, politically correct is radon progeny. So we started testing portable air cleaners, but really what behind it was uh, understanding the interaction of aerosols and radon uh, uh, decay products. And we, but we wrote a couple papers on that. Um, I think I'll, uh, this will be the last slide on that thing and we'll go back to you. Okay. Okay. So here's, so after uh, we did the testing at, at Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory and the 60 Minutes uh, uh, interview with Dan Rather, um, the Federal Trade Commission uh, hired me as a consultant to uh, do some enforcement actions against some of these uh, false advertising claims, at which point the industry rallied, and that was AHAM. And AHAM then decided to say, well, let's, let's hire Offerman to help us with uh, write this um, uh, testing uh, procedure. And I did. And, and today uh, it is the de facto testing for portable air cleaners. So if a message is, I would say, if you're gonna use air filtration, make sure if it's a HVAC filter, it has a MERV rating, right? ASHRAE 52.2. And if it's a portable air cleaner, it has a CADR rating. Uh, and if it doesn't have those two things, then walk away. Don't so, do it. Okay. Okay. Hey, you know, in your history, um, and, and I'm looking at a text question, you may have uh, maybe skipped over for some reason ozone generators as air cleaners. I know you've been involved with that, and there's uh, California Air Resource Board has some, some yeah. so, rules yeah. on that. Can you talk about that for yeah. a moment? Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're not really an air cleaner, right? But um, um, they're they're not legal to be used in uh, um, they're not legal to be used in um, California at least uh, uh, ozone you know generators and and even air cleaning devices are regulated for the emissions of ozone um, but they are widely used in the restoration industry which I, IEQ radio listeners are there's a lot of restoration people so yeah they are used for deodorization and stuff like that. Personally, uh, my recommendations on mold remediation or any kind of biodecamination doesn't ever involve biocides, never involves uh, ozone. Uh, it just provides physical removal of soap and water. But yeah, I did mention it, but it, it is basically a, um, uh, a restoration. Um, Let me ask you this, Bud. You wrote this article, Beware of the COVID-19 snake oil salesmen they are here I, I don't think you just wrote it because you woke up one day and decided to write an article what kind of led you to that article and then maybe you could tell us a little bit about the article yeah um well i've been in this business a long time uh and um some of these um um not non-traditional air cleaning devices electrostatics and stuff like that um they've been reincarnated many, many, many times. So, um, 
So I've been always calling them out for what they are. But when they started selling them to school districts, and I, I get it, the school districts are under enormous pressure, right? Right. To get, um, you know, to get their uh, um, uh, schools open and stuff. And, and a safe environment, right. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, but, okay, we want to get kids back in school. Absolutely. Uh, so that seems to be an open the door for some of these snake oil kind of salesmen selling devices that promise everything. And, you know, the school district doesn't know. And, 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 and so I'm in, I, I have some slides on that a little bit later. Um, let's see if I have uh, here uh, just... Well, before you do that, let's go up to halftime. And then when we go into halftime, you can pull up your slides while we're right. thanking our sponsor. Right. But um, the gist of the article, when I just read it, I, I, it seems to me like um, the one that's getting a lot of attention is this bipolar ionization needlepoint stuff. Um, and it looks like that was one of the ones that you looked at pretty closely in the article. Yeah. I looked at, uh, this is Global Plasma Solutions, and um, I wasn't like picking on them particularly, other than that they had the most data up on their website. And you kind of wonder, so, you know, I, I, I kind of eat these things for lunch, right? I go onto the <laughs> website and I, I download the data and you wonder like, why did they put that up there? Because it their own data shows it doesn't do anything. and Kind of interesting with Global Plasma Solutions, I drilled down into that in March of 2020, started the pandemic, right? And then when I was doing some more work on this um, back in June or July, I noticed that all that data had gone from the website. Oh. But I said, that's okay, because I know about the Wayback Machine. The Wayback <laughs> Machine backs up the whole internet. You know, like you, you can't run and hide. You it's can't hide, so, but you well, put I, up I, their I, list I, forever. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and and so yeah, so I, they had a lot of data, and I used it as a to illustrate uh, what this whole class of devices. There's a lot of people that make these electrostatic gizmos that, at best, do nothing, but perhaps. Uh, create like uh, um, uh, things that you don't want to breathe, like formaldehyde. I got you. I, I now, I've got a couple quick questions here. One is, um, what about these so-called NASA-developed systems? And a lot of these guys uh -huh. rely on that. What, what's the thoughts on that, bud? Well, yeah, this is, you know, the thing about the snake oil salesmen, uh, the, the people that are selling these devices, uh, they like to use the word NASA. They like <laughs> to use the word quantum. They like the word uh, um, nano. Nano, yeah. All yeah. these things, it's all window dressing. So if you could say NASA, uh, that's great. Uh, but uh, uh, it, 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 there was, you know, a, somewhat of a, a study of notoriety on plants, uh, uh, that plants are air cleaners. And it was a quote, NASA study, which, you know, uh, at least for some people gives you, uh, you know, a sense of, that, hey, this must be pretty good. But yeah, it, yeah, it's just been appropriated a little bit. Yeah, well, what, they'll, what I've seen is they'll take a study from NASA that, you know, is a perfectly legitimate study and then kind of misappropriate it to lend credence to whatever it is they're selling. And that, uh, that happens quite a bit. The other question is, um, one of our listeners has been kind of inundated with pitches on these different products. And one of the things they'll say is at least they are available uh, where proven equipment is oftentimes sold out. Have you run into that at all? Not at all. There's, there's so many excuses. Um, there's a lot of politics involved around the schools. Teachers don't want to go back. I get it. It's, you know, there's risk. And until there's zero risk, I think that uh, a lot of teachers just don't want to go back. So a lot of school districts are just trying to do whatever they can to, um, to mitigate, uh, you know, and, and get teachers back. So it, it's tough. Well, and I think too, the, 
I, the, you had that bipolarization unit in your article there, and I was the cost on that three to four thousand dollars or something like that. Oh, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just a strip of like uh, needles with a little power supply, right? Yeah, it's three to four thousand. If you're comparing that to putting um, air air fil you know air cleaners in every classroom, it looks like a deal. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, yeah, but it doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's pretty. You know, most of these if we're talking just schools, and the most of the classrooms don't have the big you know system that's serving like. 50 classrooms. A lot of them are rooftop units that you know, might serve one classroom and stuff. So you'd have to be putting them in each one. But yeah, it's still the, the cost benefit. Uh, can't talk about it because the benefit's zero. So. so there's no cost benefit analysis to be done. Let's stop for a second. We're going to thank our sponsors. I got a couple more text questions, things that we wanted to talk about anyway. The hydroxyls, a little on the PCO technology. But before we do that, we want to thank our sponsors. We'll be back in two minutes with Bud Offerman, our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, at AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science at ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research at CIRIScience.org, The Indoor Air Quality Association, Promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry. Network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at IICRC.org and Healthy Buildings America 2021 in Honolulu, Hawaii, August 10 through 12, 2021 at hb2021-america.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee at aemlinc.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us at ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. Over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring at GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers at HealthyIndoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Bud Offerman. Cliff, let me turn it over to you to start the second half then. Bud, if you want to, after this question or two, maybe go back to your slides, that would be great. Hey, Bud. Um, this, the reason that I, I queried you about this hydroxyl thing is that it comes up and these machines like ozone are commonly used in the disaster restoration field. And um, I just like your comment on, you know, using them in general. Uh, and then I guess in particular with COVID and, and with odors, you know, like yeah. smoke and things like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I looked at the, I, um, you, you sent me some links to some manufacturers of these devices. Uh, um, they were, um, you know, Odorox was one of them. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, uh, 
Yeah, I reached out to them and uh, they didn't return my calls. But you know, my name's out there right now, so I have to go into a pseudonym or something. But, <laughs> okay. um, um, yeah, so th these are um, these devices don't look like when I looked at them and everything. Um, they do not look like they're there to you know be operated in um, you know occupied buildings. They're there for disaster, you know, you know, cleanup efforts or whatever. Again, of course, my opinion is for microbial cleanup, uh, you really don't need any bells and whistles and, you know, uh, um, magic chemicals and, and stuff like that. And, 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 but yeah, I looked at it. Um, um, and, the, the, you know, one of the things is, is um, the FDA moved quickly in, um, I think, uh, March or April last year to fast track approval of medical devices and stuff for COVID-19, including mm -hmm. air cleaners. And um, unfortunately, it, uh, the, the requirement is simply to show a log four reduction of, so a 10,000 fold reduction of let's say the virus you're testing or whatever. Um, now for an air cleaner, it doesn't say like, can you, uh, how long you test it to get that, you know, is it a week, a day, five minutes, what size chamber? So it was kind of rushed in and a lot of people are now doing tests that, for instance, on the GPS test, it has an ionizer bar that you put in a HVAC duct. They took the ionizer bar and put it over a Petri dish for like 30 minutes and then looked at how many uh, uh, bacteria and virus were killed. Um, that has nothing to do with disinfecting moving airstream, right? right. So, uh, but they can show the $4 reduction and guess what? They can say in their marketing literature, FDA approved. So, mm -hmm. it's sort of like the NASA stuff, but I just have a couple follow-ups if, if, if I can. Okay, yeah. but I, I think one of the, there are a couple questions on these hydroxyl machines in terms of number one, where does this reaction occur? Does it occur only within the machine or do these machines uh, release hydroxyls into the air that then, you know, go out and, you know, hunt like a beagle for hunting rabbits or something yeah. like that? So <laughs> is it in the machine? Or does it go out? And then yeah. the second question is the use of moisture in conjunction uh, with these hydroxyls? Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Your opinion on, um, you know, the use of moisture with okay. it. I'm going to do my best to imitate Anthony Fauci. Okay. <laughs> we, we just don't know. <laughs> um, no, uh, I mean, as far as the water, uh, you know, stuff. Okay. The hydroxyl radicals uh, that are created by um, uh, these electrostatic devices, uh, most of them just go, you know, are not contained in a reactor itself. Uh, they, they go out into the air and uh, they're very reactive. Um, it's not something you want to breathe in. There's a recent paper out um, by, um, her name is uh, Wee Lu. She's with the Department of Building Science at School of Architecture in Beijing. Negative ions offset cardiorespiratory benefits of PM 2.5 reduction from residential use of negative ion air purifiers. Hmm. So, all right. So even if we're just charging the particle and not creating hydroxyl radicals, um, like an ionizer um, is like a dirty electronic precipitator, charges the particles and it is played off on all the indoor surfaces, which includes what? Your respiratory tract. Now the hydroxyl radicals are, are very strong oxidants and um, um, you don't want to be breathing them either. So at least we're seeing some studies now showing that um, you don't want to use these devices in occupied uh, areas um, because of the potential toxic effects of or adverse health effects related to the hydroxyl radicals and uh, ions. Cliff, do you have a follow-up? No, I'm good. Thank you. All right, let me ask you this one because I got a bunch of text questions in here. First one is, uh, PCO, and I know that's something you've talked a little bit about. Is it really effective at destroying chemicals and killing microbiologicals? Is there any brand that you think would be effective without causing adverse effects? Absolutely not. There is not. 
Um, you know, here, here's the genesis of all this snake oil in my mind. The HEPA filters is a very mature uh, technology. You can get a HEPA filter on Amazon for your home without bells and whistles for relatively inexpensive. It's a commodity. I mean, how do you distinguish yourself in the air cleaning business? Then yeah. out comes the bells and whistles. PCO, we've tested in our laboratory, PCO, other people have tested them. Um, it has the, um, ideally what you do is you oxidize VOCs or whatever down to water and carbon dioxide. Sounds pretty good, right? Yes. But that oxidation's uh, never complete. And you, you often get rather benign VOCs like isoprene or terpenes being oxidized by these PCO devices and um, creating uh, formaldehyde, which is of course a human carcinogen and a potent irritant. So uh, again, um, I, I, I wouldn't want to um, invest in PCO technology right now, but it's yeah, out there. But I'm curious your thoughts on, uh, there's a lot of people disinfecting, using electrostatic sprayers. Um, yeah. Also now there's some thoughts that maybe theatrical smoke could help with uh, reducing part, you know, particulate in the air. Any thoughts on those two? Yeah, well, again, um, you, you do such a good job with HEPA filtration and fil filtration uh, uh, and, and ventilation. Um, I don't know why you'd be going down that road, but uh, we've got to make a distinction between cleaning the air of airborne virus and bacteria and disinfecting surfaces. UV light, no problem with having a glove box where you're sterilizing your instruments and the instruments see, you know, long duration of UV irradiation. That works. What doesn't work is going through the air, right? So, I mean, that's the... That's how I see it right now. Um, it, it's yeah, technology that's wanting to be there, but isn't really there. I got another quick one, uh, Bud. Have you looked at any other bipolar ionization systems other than the GPS? Yeah, I have. Yeah, Same um, issue? Yeah. Um, you, do you remember the Causatron? The what? Causatron. No. No, it, it doesn't even sound like it's a legit thing, right? A cause of trauma. I mean, yeah. most of these things, like, you get a gist of it that they're not the real deal. But, you know, that was a device, and we tested some of those devices in air handlers and airports and stuff like that. And, um, and, and but I've looked and drilled down into other man manufacturers' uh, literature. They're, they're pretty much all using the same labs, and they're doing these tests that don't really show any airborne removal or disinfection, just on surfaces. So okay. let me get to a topic that I think is really important here and that I, I want to make sure we cover. How do you deal with wildfire smoke during okay. right. the COVID-19? I mean, you, the ventilation thing seems to be, you know, problematic when you've got a bunch of wildfires going on. Yeah, that's a real challenge for uh, uh, people, especially where you have wildfire smoke, such as here in uh, California. Um, there's something up on our website, uh, which uh, talks about that. And for your uh, viewers, you can download it off our website. But here's the thing. What you don't want to do is turn the outdoor air totally off. Like, and, and let's, I'm going to stay with classrooms right now. You got a classroom. It's the pandemic and I got wildfire smoke. Well, for wildfire smoke, we don't want to bring any outdoor air in at all or minimize it. And for pandemic, for COVID-19, we want to bring in a whole bunch. So what the, the, the suggestion we have here right now is that one, do not just turn off all the outside air. Um, put it in minimum, if it has an economizer, put it in minimum. Use MERV 13 or better air filters. And, and, and I got to say this is that some people are saying, you know, I can't put a MERV 13 in my HVAC system. It's not designed for that high of a pressure drop. Well, that's a lot of BS. Most, uh, this is again, a very mature, this uh, extended surface filters are a very mature industry. Pressure drops now 
are, uh, are totally uh, manageable. As long as you'd have, I would say, a two-inch slot. You got a two-inch slot or whatever you can put in your MERV 13. And of course, portable air cleaners. Um, there's also on our website is uh, something called the building protection factor. That's so what I was just going to ask you about. Let's talk yeah. about that a minute. So kind of like the Capital One, what's in your wallet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will say, uh, what's your building protection factor? And so uh, if you're um, a building manager or operator and everything, this is something you want to know. It's not a hard calculation. It's on our website how to do it. Um, but it basically uh, is taking the metric that was developed for masks, the assigned protection factor, which is the concentration uh, that's in the ambient air divided by the concentration you're inhaling through the mask. Well, building protection factor is simply the concentration outdoors divided by the concentration indoors. So if you've got MERV 13 filters, you can get a protection factor of almost 10, which is like an N95 mask. And if you have like MERV 4 filters or something, then you don't have so much. But um, the main thing I think with the wildfire uh, management during COVID-19 is don't turn the outdoor air all the way off, turn it down to a minimum, have good filters, and I think that's what the best we can do. But let me, uh, this is a question that comes up. Um, obviously, as you said before, a filter doesn't work if the air doesn't go through the filter. What are some tips you would give school districts and other building owners to make sure that when, you know, they're upgrading to these MARB 13 filters, how do they ensure that as much air as possible is going through those filters? Well, uh, the, 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 if they have an existing system, they're going to have a filter in there already. And so just choosing a MERV 13 filter that has a similar pressure drop. Fairly simple to look it up online, what, what the pressure drop is uh, on their filters. But yeah, I'd want to emphasize this a few times here, right? Is um, upgrading your air filtration or increasing your outdoor air intake for COVID-19 these are good things to do, but they don't um, allow you to not wear a mask. They do not allow you to just have high density gatherings. You still have to have social distancing and masks <clears throat> to protect from short range face-to-face -face transmission. But they are very, very helpful in reducing the um, uh, concentrations in indoor air for far field exposure, more than six feet away. Is, I guess the other thing I would ask is, uh, are there ways of making sure the mechanical system is running longer so that you do get air through those filters? Running longer. Well, as far as time goes, I mean, ideally, uh, every HVAC system in schools or whatever would have a time clock, either built into the thermostat or whatever. You like to start the system before the occupancy and you'd like it to continue after occupancy. Okay. Um, as, as far as like telling how much airflow is going through the device, um, uh, I, you know, that, that requires measurement, right? And, uh, um, but if you upgrade your filter to a MERV 13 or higher, and it has the same pressure drop as the existing filters you have, then you can, you can be, um, you can feel comfortable that you've not, decrease the airflow rate, which is some of the concerns people have when trying to upgrade. And I guess one of the comments is to make sure that the, the filter rack has and the door has proper gasketing so that you're making sure air goes through that filter as opposed oh, to around right. it. You know? um, there is, um, if you go to the California Department of Health Services website, which is on that first slide, there are some uh, resources here besides the paper uh, one that hopefully will be coming out soon is some practical things that school districts can do themselves without like having to have a specialized HVAC technician. It won't necessarily guarantee exactly the CFM of outside air coming in, but it'll tell you that one, the system's working, air is coming out of the diffusers, outdoor air is going in through the uh, outdoor air intake, and um, yeah. Okay. And, and there's some um, 
do-it-yourself filtration uh, machines nowadays. You just buy yourself a nice little box fan and, and attach a. Oh, Mark I got 13. one myself. You got one? All right. Oh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I've been building those. Uh, my, I like to have a fan on in the bedroom. I like cold air on my face. I like to be under the down comforter. And I, so my, my wife has allergies. So um, I uh, have to uh, uh, I put a filter on it. So I didn't do it for wildfire or anything like that. But yeah, uh, I saw an interesting one. Instead of just strapping a Merv 13 to the face of a box fan, they took four Merv 13 filters and then put the box fan on top. So you, it was like a little table almost or whatever. Yep. I thought that yep. was pretty clever. But Very nice. yeah, you can make a pretty good air cleaner uh, yourself uh, with the box fan and uh, filters. Great tips, bud. Let's go to the roundup, John. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. You got a final question for Bud? Yeah, I do, Joe. I was watching television the other night, Bud, and I saw Robert De Niro and Jennifer oh. Lopez. And uh -huh. I don't know if you saw that commercial, but they were introducing something called the Well Health Safety Rating. And yeah. I wondered whether you have ever heard of it. It's a safety rating and certification yeah. and so on and so yeah. forth. So. Hard, to, hard to keep up with all those rating systems, right? There's like a, a, like a, a half a dozen or more. The, 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 the godfather was what? Lee, U.S. Green Building right. Council. And right. yeah, so Wells out there, it's one of them, but there are many others too. I, I never really understood why people did it to get the plaque on their wall, but uh, they do. And it's a good thing. It's changed the building industry. Hey, but any idea what the cost is to upgrade from a one-inch slot to a two- or four-inch slot? It, it... You know, I think a lot, um, well, like, if your system has been built in the last 10 or 20 years, you probably have a two inch slot already. Um, if you had an older system, it might not be that hard to expand the slot to, so it could take a two inch. You can get a one inch Merv 13, but it has like 3M filtrate charge media. And like we said with electrostatic precipitators, the advantage of the charge media diminishes pretty quickly as you get uh, particles collected on it. Uh, so yeah. better to go to a two inch, you know, or, or wider uh, MERV 13 filter and without the charged media, just a regular glass media. What about schools that have unit ventilators, bud? You know, it's a tough, tough to get that MERV 13 into a unit ventilator. What do you recommend there? Well, you, uh, you can use, uh, I mean, there's more of the ways if you can't, you really can't put in a MERV 13 two-inch filter. Um, and I would question that. I think you probably can. You just have to work yeah. at it. But if you can't, of course, you can always use portable air cleaners is one thing. Um, okay. What's your, what does your crystal ball say about the future of air filtration technology, bud? Um, well, I don't. I, I continue to see the snake oil be out there with us. Uh, but I think that the development of the high efficiency filters, pleated filters, has pretty much made this a very accessible commodity that it's useful. So I don't see a lot of development out there. What I do see is like, there's a lot of interest in putting sensors, integrating sensors with your air cleaners. So, um, so that's where they, they will sense that, oh, there's a lot of particles in the air. Let's turn up the high speed. So I think that's what I'm seeing down the road a little bit, a little bit more attention to uh, sensor technology integration with the, um, the air cleaners. You know, I've got a question about upgrades to schools. There's going to be some stimulus money coming out. The schools are going to have some money to spend in upgrading their systems, um, what kind of obstacles or pitfalls would there be to using the money to do this? And how can school systems put out proper RFPs that get the results they actually want without avoiding waste or unnecessary work? I know that's a pretty yeah, it's a long question, yeah. but well, I figured I'd throw it at you here at the end. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, 
in California, we've approved uh, Assembly Bill 841, which I think it's like $2 billion uh, going to schools. Uh, much of that is 80%, uh, uh, I think, is slated for um, assessment, seeing what you got there. And then 20% um, at this time is for the repairs. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I, I agree that um, and hopefully someone like maybe the California Department of Health Services or someone will come up with a nice roadmap, right? How do I get this money? <laughs> or I, there are some other organizations such as CASH and uh, um, that are involved with schools that might help, you know, put together that roadmap because there is money to help things out. Um, okay. Cliff, you have any other ones? Uh, no, yeah, I think going back to the schools, to me, the simple solution is what you're doing in your house, bud. You you get a box fan, you put the, you know, the MERV 13 filter or filters on it, and it kind of solves the problem without trying to re-engineer something that wasn't properly engineered, you know, when the school was built. Seems yeah. like that's the hard way to do it. Yeah, um, well, I think that reducing the class sizes, you know, social distancing, that's a must. Wearing masks, that's a must. And then um, uh, I, I think there's, uh, again, uh, you just reiterated it, that it, it, it may be difficult to upgrade the uh, air filtration uh, to a MERV 13 in an existing school. And I, I think largely that that's not a, a non-issue. Um, one of the things I'll mention though, is that the controls in a lot of the classrooms that have an HVAC system, they've got the thermostat, just like you, Joe and Cliff have in your home that has a fan switch, right? It says fan on and fan auto. And the fan auto, the fan only comes on when it needs heating and cooling. So it's important that the fan uh, switch be in the on position so it's working all the time. But I do think you can get a MERV 13 filter in. Uh, most all uh, of your school systems can handle that. But I got a text question. Um, what are the risks of using ceiling fans in schools? Well, you know, uh, yeah. So um, I've seen that that was in either Yale or Harvard's uh, thing about which direction the ceiling fan should blow up or down. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a non-issue. I mean, it, it depends on where the infected person is. Uh, ceiling fans, when they're blowing air down, it really, the sphere of influence is just really under the blades. And further away, the, there isn't a lot of uh, air movement. Um, so um, I don't know what to say about, I'll, I'll do an Anthony Fauci. We don't really know, but um, I don't think that, uh, that the ceiling fan, um, that um, I'm really concerned which way it blows or if it's on or off. Hey, real quick, any cautions with leaving the fan on in the on position as opposed to auto? I mean, is there things you have to watch for there? No, no, it's it, it's just an energy saving issue. And, and let me say this: now's not the time to save energy. Okay, not for the schools right now. Let's punt that down the, the field a little bit. But uh, now's not the time. Now's the time to make our schools healthy and, and safe and get the kids back in school. We could do that with social distancing, masks, good air filtration and ventilation. But before we go, we always like to give you the last word. Any final thoughts, anything you'd like to add? Uh, did I miss anything here? Well, let me just say that um, I think that um, some of these, um, the FDA, for instance, you know, uh, thing is being misappropriated and used in the marketing literature that, you know, you know, and that's not good. And also that people, when they do the ozone tests, right, the, the, uh, for, uh, and it's an FDA requirement, also a Air Resources Board of California requirement, that's also being appropriate as we were FDA approved. What, what, what did I don't make ozone? Not that I'm, you know, everything about the, the, the air cleaning. And finally, where the heck is the Federal Trade Commission? We're not talking about that the ream of paper was short in an advertised, it was 500. I mean, we're talking about 
giving people a false sense of assurance with these snake oil air cleaning devices. And we need some enforcement action. And I'm very hopeful with the new administration uh, that the Federal Trade Commission will step up to the plate here and uh, uh, with some enforcement. But I got one final uh, comment, and that is that leaving the fan on in a hot, humid climate could possibly lead to condensation being pulled off the coil and causing mold in ductwork. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I don't see that. Uh, it, we're not talking about leaving it on, you know, um, 24-7. We're talking about leaving it on in, um, um, during the working hours. And, um, you know, I don't believe that is a problem at all. All right. Very good, Bud Dofferman. Thank you. I've got so many great comments on the show already. Um, we really appreciate you joining us and look forward to doing it again. We've had, this is our third and uh, look forward to number four down the road here. All right. Thanks again, Bud. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guest, Bud Offerman. To my engineer at the controls, John, you got to have faith. My co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and sponsors. We'll be back next Friday. Oh, by the way, next Friday, we've got uh, Bob Blockinger. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about uh, uh, surfaces, uh, flooring and surfaces and hard surfaces. And uh, so looking forward to a great show with Bob. We'll be back next Friday at noon with the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening.